Only by understanding the difference between creativity and innovation can you be very good at either one of them. They certainly are interdependent, but but you're right. Creativity is a process that we have to go through in order to be able to develop innovative solutions. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 86. And today my guest is Keith Harmeyer, who's all about ideas. For over 20 years, Keith was a creative director and writer at New York City advertising agencies, where he generated innovative ideas for some of the world's leading brands. Before his career in advertising, Keith was a professional singer and actor and appeared in opera and musical theater productions across the United States. These days, Keith spends most of his time writing, speaking, and consulting on topics of innovative thinking and creative problem solving. But every once in a while, he still breaks out in song, and he does at the end of his interview. Keith is a professional member of the National Speakers Association and the Florida Speakers Association and is co-author of the book, Smart Storming, The Game-Changing Process for Generating Bigger, Better Ideas. So obviously our conversation is all about ways of generating ideas. Before we get to the interview, I have a question for you. Would you like to become a better listener? If so, then consider purchasing my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life for only $14.99. Listening is one of the key principles of improvisation. Here's a review from an Amazon customer. Yes, and he did a great job of opening my eyes and mind to concepts. I'm an ex-accountant who also did a short-lived stint as a professional actor. When I looked at the book, I was curious on what could Mr. Margaritas tell me about improv or accounting. Yes, and he did a great job opening my eyes and mind to concepts I'd long forgotten about, i.e. listening to other people, being creative and accepting positivity. His examples are real and grounded, and his use of humor is refreshing. I read the book cover to cover in one sitting because he kept me enthralled on his stories and explanations. I highly recommend this book if you're looking for some fresh ideas to open your business processes. And even if you're not looking, you'll be pleasantly surprised by his experience and approach. Thank you very much for that review. Obviously, the book can be purchased on Amazon, but if you'd like a personalized signed copy of my book, go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and that's M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S, and click on the Improv is No Joke Available Now graphic to purchase. Oh, and by the way, the shipping is free. You can also purchase the audiobook from my website for the same price of $14.99. A professional speaker's biggest challenge is following up with their audiences to continue to provide value-added tools and techniques. This podcast is one way that I use to deliver those tools and techniques. The other way is through my social media platforms, which are Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. 
please feel free and connect in with me on one or all of these social media platforms. And you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter by going to my website, petermargaritas.com, and clicking the contact drop-down button on the menu bar of my homepage. Now, let's get to the interview with Keith. Keith, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a guest on my podcast. I am so looking forward to this conversation. As am I, Peter, and thank you for asking me. I've really been looking forward to this, uh, um, especially after I got a chance to take a look at your book and see uh, some of what you do and and the kind of things you talk about, and I listen to the podcast, so I think we're going to have a good time. I I think we will, And, and we go back. We've known each other for about a whole, I don't know, 30 days? Yeah, about a, about a month. Yeah, about a, about a month. Exactly, about a month. I, but I it met, was a good month, Peter. It was a good month. It was. We 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 met in uh, Tempe, Arizona. We were both attending the Chapter Leader Institute of the National Speakers Association. You're the president-elect of the of your Florida cha- South Florida chapter, and I'm president-elect of the Ohio chapter. And uh, it was it was fun getting to know you down there. Looking forward to uh, this conversation as well. Absolutely, it's great. So why don't you give my audience uh, a little peek into who Keith Harmeyer is? Okay. Well, um, as you sort of alluded today, I'm uh, a professional speaker. I'm an author and consultant, but uh, generally the topic that I focus on is innovation and, and, and specifically innovative thinking and creative problem solving. So what people and teams actually have to do every day in order to be more innovative. And, uh, you know, we, we tend to think of innovation in bigger terms, sort of uh, organizational level. But what do you actually have to do every day at your desk in order to make a difference and be more innovative in your work? Um, and, in terms of my background, and um, I, I always say I, uh, I am what some people might refer to as a creative type. Um, all that really means is that in my entire life, I never had to work at a real job. So I was very, <laughs> very, very lucky. Um, I started uh, uh, all my education is in music. I have a, a master's degree in voice from Tulane and uh, in New Orleans, my hometown. And I was uh, I started off my first career was as a professional singer and actor. And uh, that took me from. New Orleans to New York City, where I lived for 30 years in the, in the New York City area. And uh, after a while, I um, I moved out of my professional performing, uh, mostly because of the travel. I found the travel to be um, to be kind of tough. And I got a job in advertising. And once again, um, really lucky because the type of job I had was to come up with ideas. So my job uh, every day for over 20 years was to come up with fresh, new, innovative ways of helping my clients sell their products. And it was uh, it was a real test of on-demand creativity, but I learned a lot about creative thinking and creative problem solving in that role. And today, uh, my partner and I uh, have a company called Smart Storming, and like brainstorming, only smarter, and we help organizations and teams and individuals learn how to do what we did, learn how to be more creative in their thinking and more innovative in how they approach their work. And that is the title of your book, Smart Storming, The Game-Changing Process for Generating Bigger, Better Ideas. Yes, it is. And uh, my partner and I co-authored that book, published it uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, and uh, it's we, we believe it's the most comprehensive book uh, that's ever been published on this topic, on the topic of of group idea generation and problem solving. And uh, and so it, it really is a book all about how to plan and facilitate highly effective brainstorming sessions. There's also a lot in there to help individuals who are working on their own, but um, but it's really for team leaders to help them get greater 
greater effectiveness when it's time to solve a, child, a challenge. Okay, so before we go down this path and start talking about smart storm and stuff, you said you got a master's degree in voice out yep. of out of Tulane, mm-hmm. which is located in New Orleans, your hometown. Yeah, which is one of my favorite cities in the country. I, I I've probably been to New Orleans at least fifteen times, if not maybe a hundred times. It's somewhere in between there. Uh, and, and I have to ask, when you go back, what where what is your favorite restaurant in New Orleans? You know, that's that's a tough one. Uh, people always say, you know, where should I eat in when I go visit New Orleans? And I my answer is anywhere <laughs> because you really, it's you really have to work hard to find bad food um in in new orleans so um so favorite restaurants i mean you know there are some and, and by the way uh, especially since katrina you know the restaurant scene now changes constantly there are so many talented young chefs who've come there and they're doing such amazing things with local cuisine and uh, so i can't even keep up i um with with what's going on but i still like some of the some of the traditional places so you know in terms of higher end restaurants commander's palace mm, yeah. um, is still one of my uh, one of my favorite restaurants in town and i i just think it's a, a great experience the food is amazing um but there you know again you can go you can go anywhere um you know uh, the the my wife and I are both big fans of fried oyster po'boys, mm. and if you've never had one, uh, you need to have one if you go to New Orleans. And uh, there's a place called Acme, and uh, yep. which is famous. And then right across the street uh, from the original Acme's, there's a place called Felix's, which is just as good. So those are the kinds of places we we try to hit when we're there. Mother's is also really famous for po'boys, and we we try to do that. So, but like I said, you 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 almost can't uh, can't go wrong no matter where you go in New Orleans. So that that's true. A friend of mine, Clark Price. His favorite restaurant is Acme Oyster. He loves yeah. the place. Yeah, my my go to when I go to New Orleans, the first place I have to go is the Gumbo Shop on St. Peter. Yeah, uh, a Dixie beer, a, a bowl of gumbo, and a combination plate. And, and once I've got that base, I'm ready to attack almost any restaurant in the city at that point. Absolutely, gum, the Gumbo Shop's great because they have a real wide variety of stuff. They have Cajun stuff, they have Creole stuff. So, uh, so that's a good recommendation. It's right in the far, heart of the French Quarter. So, uh, it, I, earlier I did a, a few episodes ago, I did a, a travel episode, my favorite restaurants to eat in the United States, and and, and, and Gumbo Shop was one, Mr. Beast Bistro, I did a, I did about three or four in New Orleans, I, I could have done, you know, 10 or 20 of them, because you're yeah, right, but, but you're right, every every restaurant's good, I've, I've never had a bad meal anywhere in New Orleans, and that, that's, nice. a, that, that's a great thing about that city. It's fantastic. The, the The downside, of course, is that uh, if you're there longer than two or three days, you're going to go home 10 pounds heavier. So it's <laughs> just part of the price you pay. That's uh, <laughs> 10 pounds heavier and you lost about half of your liver at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Master of Voice, your music, uh, any, any genre of music that you were gravitated to and, 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 and you performed? Well, I really sang, um, sang, I, I, I sang pretty much everything. I mean, everything from singing in rock bands, uh, literally to singing grand opera. So, uh, professionally, I actually sang opera probably more than anything else. So that, that sort of is what people know me, you know, it's like, uh, he's, he's that opera singing guy, you know, but, uh, my real, my real love when I was young was, uh, was musical theater and, and I did a lot of Broadway stuff as well. But, uh, but yeah, everything I sang in a, in a fifties, uh, rock and roll band. Um, at one point called Major Moses and the Ten Commandos. That was <laughs> absolutely true. And there were 10 of us. There were actually 10. Um, so I, I did that. I, uh, and uh, like I said, a lot of musical stuff, a lot of, a lot of standards, a lot of classical music. So, uh, but I was, you know, I was classically trained 
the singer from the time I was about 15 or 16, which is, uh, which is a, a respectable age to start studying voice. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty much what I did until I was about 28 years old. Well, I, 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 I have to go in full transparency. I knew about the opera and, <laughs> and, and I, to my audience, uh, I, I got to hear Keith Singh, uh, at this, uh, uh, NSA leadership Institute and, I, I, I'm going to go on record. If there's anybody from NSA listening to this or any members of NSA listening to this, Keith needs to be on the main stage. He did such <laughs> a hilarious parody in opera about the life of a speaker that had the whole room in tears laughing hysterically. So it's on record that, I, I mean, I loved it. I, I and There's so much, there was for about two days, there was so much video out there on Facebook with you and stuff. And, and I sent it to my wife and she goes, who is this guy? I'm like, eh, you know, just one of those talented speakers in the National Speakers <laughs> Association. You know, one of my goals when when I went to the uh, to 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 the uh, institute was that I was not going to share the fact that I sang, and I think that lasted about five minutes. Uh, my friend Rita Craig sort of sort of outed me to the entire room that I was a singer, so uh, so that was it. But it was it was great fun, and thank you for those kind words, Peter. And and I will be in Dallas, and I will be in Phoenix the year after, uh, uh, all, all things working out. So. Um, uh, you never know. You never know. Um, my, I, I got two words for it: main stage, and I, that, that's that's just. It was great. I'm glad she outed you because you you have such a talent, and okay. and, and, and I know you know all that helps spurred the smart storming, but that talent that most people in your audience can't even come close to, and to be able to use that talent along with your knowledge and stuff and, and share that way. Man, that's just powerful as heck. I, I I can't sing, so but I I can make people laugh, which is kind of helps and and getting that message across and getting that message to resonate. And, and and you got a wonderful gift. Keep using it, my friend. Thank you, Peter. Thanks. And being able to make people laugh that's a pretty that's a pretty valuable gift as well, especially in this business. So good for you. Thank you. So let, let's talk about yeah. I, when we talk about you say innovation and 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 and. And through improv, it's a great way of, of, of being innovative. But what I found is we tend to use the word innovation, but buried inside of innovation is, is creativity. Because I think you, you even bring it out in your book. There are really two different processes here. And I've said the same thing. There's the idea, generating ideas. I want quantity of ideas. Mm-hmm. And then once we get all those ideas out, then I can go in and judge and figure out which ones I can apply to, like effectively applied creativity, put that process in place and change something. And I believe that in reading your book, you worded a little bit differently, much more eloquently than I just did, but it's along those same lines. Well, yeah. We First of all, I always say only by understanding the difference between creativity and innovation can you be very good at either one of them. And they, they certainly are interdependent. But but you're right. Creativity is a process that we have to go through in order to be able to develop innovative solutions. And and uh, in our work, and I'll say we a lot because uh, I have a I have a partner, my partner Mitchell Ridgey, who uh, uh, we are partners at Smartstorming and created all of our content and all of all of the stuff that we do together. Um, we we offer, we actually provide a definition for innovation because if I asked everybody listening to this podcast right now what innovation means to them, we would probably have as many different definitions as we have people listening. So we try to give a simple, understandable definition so that we have a working context. And that definition is the introduction of something new or different 
that provides greater value or benefit. And that second part is really, really important. So it, it needs to be something new or at least different from what's been being done before. But in order to be truly innovative, it has to deliver greater value or benefit to somebody. Um, if it's if it's different just for the sake of being different, then that's just novelty. And we really don't get anything out of that other than perhaps amusement. So creativity is part of the process that leads us ultimately to that innovative solution. But to your point, part of the process is not just coming up with ideas. It's also being able to evaluate and discern what ideas have the greatest value and how you can actually put them to use. But those are two separate processes. Two separate processes. And actually, we're, we're, this, this gets into a topic that's uh, one of the most important things that we teach in our work. But there are two different ways the mind think when we're trying to solve problems. And, and this gets a little academic, but it's uh, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Right. Uh, you may know those terms. Yes. Um, and, and yes, so one of the things that, that we urge teams and organizations to do is to keep those processes separate. So when we're thinking divergently, which means blue sky and anything goes, exploring all possibilities, we want to stay there. We want to stay in that place of possibility, uh, which I think is a lot of what you do when you're when you're doing an improv sketch, right? right. We want to stay in the place of what what's possible, not what's not possible. Then later we switch. We put on our 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 sort of critical thinking hat and we begin to look at what we've developed and say, all right, what do we have here? You know, where we, this is when we begin to separate the wheat from the chaff. So um, both of those processes are thinking processes are super important. Um, you, you can't have one without the other and, and, and ultimately innovate. But the important thing is to keep them separate because if you keep them separate, you get maximum effectiveness from both of them. Okay. So I, I got a question for you. The, the divergent and convergent thinking. We both get it, but you're delivering a workshop in corporate America. Yep. I imagine, because I, I run into this, it's, I try to set a culture, an environment that it's safe. I try to set an environment that, that generate the ideas, but there's always that, that, it's hard to shut off the critic in our head. And a lot of times I, I see that even though we're getting ideas and people work in small groups, I still hear, but, or I still, I don't <laughs> think we can do that. And it's like, okay, call time out. Let's reset. But people have a hard time separating the two. How do you achieve that uh, uh, when you're doing a workshop? They sure do. And, you know, Peter, I'll start off by telling you that in our evaluations in our workshops, the single concept that gets fed back to us is the most important thing that people hear and understand is this one, right? This, 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 um, how imperative it is to keep divergent and convergent thinking separate. And by the way, you know, we always, we always say, please don't think that there's not a time for critique. There is, there's, there's a time for that, but, but it should be held until then. So you, you understand, you get it. Um, so here's, here's, uh, the, 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 the short answer to that is what we try to do is demonstrate it. Right. So, so as part of our work, um, we we use we actually take people through the process. We guide teams through the process. We use made up challenges at first so that we can get them focused on the on on the techniques and the process and not get caught up in their own issues. But then later transfer them over to some real challenges, business challenges that they might be facing. But we actually take them through the process and demonstrate for them how much more effective it is. And we have techniques. We have what we call idea generation techniques or problem solving techniques that really help facilitate 
facilitate the process. So um, techniques that use writing, for example, instead of speaking out loud. Mm -hmm. So where everybody has a chance to share their ideas by writing them down as opposed to taking the risk of speaking them out loud and having them shot down. That's that's an approach. We have a a technique called idea sprinting that we use where it's a beat-the-clock technique where we challenge a team and say, you know what, we're going to come up with 25 ideas or more in the next five minutes. No time for discussion, no time for debate. Clock starts now. Let's start doing it. And and so by by forcing them to try to beat the clock, we minimize the opportunity for them to to be either self critiquing or certainly critiquing each other. The other thing we do, you know, in group situations, is we we establish rules. So we say to to believe that a group of people are going to get together and work collaboratively uh, in this way without having some sort of agreed upon rules of an. Mm-hmm. Oh of, yeah participation is naive. So we, we literally print rules out and post them on the wall and get everyone to agree to them. Rules like, um, you know, we suspend all judgment during idea generation. You know, there's no such thing as a bad idea, which we can talk about later because that's a, obviously a controversial statement. Go for quantity, not quality. So we all, we all agree, you know, no, no criticism or judgment allowed during idea generation. So everybody agrees to those things. And then, um, as I think you write about in, in your book, right? Uh, you, you talk about having the, uh, having a jar where people have to put money in if they <laughs> criticize. Well, we have, uh, there are, there are consequences, right? So, uh, one of the techniques we do is we encourage everyone in the room to have a crumbled, uh, a, a ball of crumbled paper. And at the first sign that anybody introduces uh. negativity or judgment, everyone in the room is encouraged to throw their ball <laughs> of paper at the perpetrator. Now, it's a, it seems like a silly thing, but you understand how it works, right? Yeah, yeah. It diffuses what could otherwise be um, a tense situation. So the perpetrator laughs, ha, ha, ha. Everybody laughs. Everybody gets it. And the session can get right back on track. So I, so again, it, is, it, is it possible to completely eliminate judgment or, or self-criticism? No. But the, the more... The more you can whittle away at it, the more it becomes habit, and then the groups begin to experience what it's like when they when they get into that place when they when they have those moments those those five or ten minutes when there's no judgment no criticism and they see that anything is possible then they start to feel it they experience it and of course it just it snowballs from there so but yeah it's tough to get people out of their own way. So we're going to visit the no bad idea in a second, but yeah. but I, I want I'm looking through uh, your idea generation techniques and tools, and, and the mm-hmm. one I have to ask the question about I kind of get out all these others, but what's Frankenstein?ing <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of a cool name, isn't it? I mean, yeah. So so it's in a nutshell what that is 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 simply taking different ideas and putting them together. So you you get a group to come uh, up with with seeds of ideas and then get them to sort of spontaneously figure out ways of putting those things together. So you know, at, at in kind of an absurd way, you know, what do you what do you get if you cross a a, a baby carriage and a lawnmower? You know, so you. You start to think about <laughs> about unusual and unexpected mm. hot ways of putting things together and see what you can come up with. All of these techniques, by the way, they're they're just little brain activities that help either individuals or groups think differently than they would on their own. We 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 tend to think that idea generation is 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 only about free association. All right, what's the next thing that pops into my mind? But there are ways you can prompt the mind 
to think in different ways. We, we sometimes call those things Jedi mind tricks, right? If I ask you, what do you get if you cross a baby buggy and a, and a lawnmower? your mind is going to come up with a solution, just the way our minds work. But if I didn't ask you that question to, to begin with, you would probably never, uh, or it'd probably take you a long time before you started thinking in terms of putting together a baby carriage and a, and a lawnmower. So, um, so that's the point of all of those things. And then we have, I think we have 20 different techniques in the book um, that are that are all different types, uh, some of them well-known like mind mapping and uh, things of that nature. But that's the whole point. And so that, yeah, that's what Frankensteining is. It's like, let's take some different unrelated things that, that are associated with the challenge we're working on and see how we can put them together in different ways. Right. I, I, I don't use Frankenstein. I, I, I love that. Some of the techniques that I, I've used is called, one's called outrageous opposites. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just, you know, whatever the problem we're trying to solve, um, like we want new hot dog toppings. What are the traditional yeah. hot dog toppings? And then I want you to get crazy and, and come up with some really outrageous ideas. And then at times we can put them together. Like a peanut butter or banana. Well, we got the Elvis hot dog. Uh, you know, I want gummy bears and sprinkles <laughs> and chocolate on a hot dog. Now that's called the cavity. Uh, and, and things along <laughs> uh, along those lines. Um, but but to the to that point. Something I've learned over the last few years when, when I've done these creativity sessions, uh, and, and primarily my audience has been CPAs, accountants, financial types, is we have over here our current idea or current situation, which is very safe. And when, when we go through you know, generating ideas, and I tell them, I want you to think crazy. And, and a lot of times those crazies, not, it's just not that far away from the safe idea. Yeah. And... And, and I, I visualized it one day as, as we say in improv, uh, bad ideas are bridges to good ideas. No mm -hmm. ideas lead to nothing. So Absolutely. when I went crazy, I want you to go completely outside the box, outside your mind, and give me something just absolutely absurd. Because when you can do that, that's not the idea we're going to use. However, you've given me so much more bandwidth that I can come up and whittle it down into a specific solution or specific idea. Uh, and I think that taking that risk of, of being completely crazy scares people. Absolutely. I, I always say, you know, you would be amazed at what kind of magic happens when you have a room full of people and they're all willing to say something stupid. It's 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 like magic starts to happen. And, you know, to the analytical mind. And by the way, I respect, uh, admire and am excited that you do this with groups that would traditionally be thought of as more um, left brain analytical types of thinkers. Right. But I'll bet you get some outstanding results because sometimes those people, if you can get them to break free, they have some crazy stuff going on in their heads. You know, um, <laughs> so I, I find some of the sometimes the most, you know, quote unquote, conservative groups that I work with are the ones that come up with some of the craziest ideas. Engineers are, are, uh, are, are a great example of that. Um, but, but yeah, you know, you, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get some people to understand that saying something bad, um, can, you know, quote unquote, bad, whatever that means, right. silly, uh, impractical, uh, can lead to something good. But, but once again, we have techniques that help that process. So, uh, we have a technique in the book called bad to good. 
Um, mm-hmm. some, it, we didn't make this up. Some, some people call it worst ideas or bad ideas. And it's, it's particularly good when you have a group who can't come up with any good ideas, right? They just, oh, we can't come up with anything. Keep coming up with the same thing. So it was, okay, great. Let's come up with some bad ideas. And so not only do you allow people to come up with bad ideas, you encourage them to. The, 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 the goal of this technique is to come up with the worst ideas you can possibly think of. And, and bad means that they're impractical, they're ridiculous, they're, uh, they're maybe, uh, maybe legally, uh, uh, maybe they're illegal, <laughs> you know, ideas that would get you arrested or, or, or fired. And you, you, you spend a, a certain amount of time coming up with really bad ideas. And then you look at the ones that are the most provocative, or there's something about them that makes you laugh or that just, you just in your gut, you think there's something there and say, all right, how do we take that bad idea and turn it into something good? And the, the, the technique is super effective. Everybody loves it. They laugh and they loosen up, they get out of their own way. But once again, it demonstrates to the people who are skeptical that you really can take a bad idea and turn it, turn it into something good. Well, then you're going to love this story. <laughs> I, I and I, I've said this on previous episodes, but I was doing a, a creativity session for a leadership group, uh, Fortune 500 company in Maryland, and the 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 it was a half day thing, and, and the question on the table was how do we increase profitability? And I said, okay, raise revenue, cut costs. Okay, we've got the easy ones out of the way. And, and I, I I said you can say anything. Nobody's going to judge you. I tried to create this real safe environment, and I said I want you to get really outrageous, really crazy. What, what? And, you know, people are throwing out some ideas. Once again, they weren't coming far far from safe until this one gentleman from Latin America goes, I tell you what we're going to do, my friends. This, this is how we're going to increase profitability in our country. We're going to kill our competition salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> the whole place just roared. <laughs> I got nervous. <laughs> and, but what I got nervous about is I was not expecting that. And, and, yeah. and, and it stopped me for a second, and in my mind went, if you believe bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas, you've got to think of something. And, and, and that brief moment, I just went, we're going to, first, first, we're going to take murder off the table. <laughs> right. I, you know, none of us really look good in orange, where's the new black, you know, no, none of us really right, want right, to go. Right. But, but instead of killing them, why don't we poach them? Why don't we go out and offer them a $30,000 salary increase over what they've got and a $10,000 bonus? Maybe that's the way to do it versus killing them. And Keith, I have no idea if we would have ever gotten to that point if that one gentleman didn't take me literally and scare the crap out of most everybody in the room. (laughs) But that was absolutely a, a horrible idea. But to that point, he gave me so much bandwidth to work from that we could whittle that down to something realistic. And, and Peter, that is, ex- <laughs> and you know, we talk about this and, 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 you know, my, uh, and we'll talk about why all of this is so important. I, I hope in a minute, because I, I think it's important to make that point, but, uh, but I know there are people pop potentially listening to your podcast right now. I think, you know, that that's just silly, you know, it's just silly. And, and you know what? It is, but I, I have a thousand examples like that from my career. Um, and certainly my work in smart storming that are very, very similar, same type of thing where somebody had the, had the, the courage or the craziness to say something truly outlandish and, you know, quote unquote bad. And it turned into the game changer. I, you know, I was a game, game changing ideas rarely begin as safe. 
Um, it, they, right. they just rarely do. And they also rarely begin as practical. Uh, they, they get that way, but they have to start as outlandish. Otherwise, they're not going to be game changers by definition. So I think your, your example is perfect. By the way, um, I, I will say, you know, we, uh, for better or worse, we live in a, in, a, in a social and political environment today when, you know, unfortunately, we do have to be a little bit concerned about uh, about what people say in a business setting, right? right so, right. so when we do these techniques, I always say, you know, I want you to go as far as you can go, but we would prefer not to get reported to HR, because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to actually come back here and work again. So if we could, if we could just, but but short of short of something like you know, so yeah, my my approach would have been all right. Uh, let's put killing them on the, you know, we're going to write it down. We write down every idea, but let's come back to that and say, well, what? All right. So maybe we can't kill them, but what could we do? What could, and that's exactly what you did. That's it. That's a, precisely how that approach and how that technique works. So why is this important? You, 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 why, why is it, why, why do we have to make sure that we get this across to, to, to those who are participating and those who are doing this? Well, and this is why, you know, I, I think the work you are doing, I think the work that we're doing at Smart Storming is, is just so critically important today. I'm, I'm passionate about this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I've been, I was fortunate enough as a creative type of person to work in those types of jobs, right? So I worked in advertising for tw- about 25 years and I, you know, I was in the, innovative thinking business. I was in the idea business. That's what we did. But you know, when I got into advertising many years ago, nobody talked about innovation. It was, that was not the, that was not the buzzword in business. It wasn't a a daily uh, point of focus for all of us to think about innovation. This is innovative. That's innovative. New products, new technology, new, new, new. Companies used to be able to thrive for decades, decades with one good idea. Right. Right. I mean, it's, and and we say that now, and it sounds absurd. But think about it: fifty years ago, forty years ago, you you didn't have to have a new idea every year. Imagine if Apple came out with a new product once every ten years. How quickly would we forget who they are? So what's happened is, and why this has happened? Of course, we could talk about forever. But it but ultimately, it comes down: it, it it's technology, it's the digital era, and it's the internet. We are now under continuous, constant pressure to reinvent ourselves and the value we deliver to our customers, to our clients, to the organizations we work for. And and it's not just at the organizational level. Each one of us is under that same pressure. How many have of us have heard of someone who is mid-career, um, loses their job and can't get another job? And I don't want to be harsh. I know we we live in a in a in a challenging environment, but part of the reason for that is because they didn't remain relevant. And relevance today is 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 everything. Uh, if if you become irrelevant, you are on your way to extinction. So I know you write in your book about same as last year, right? We want to eliminate Sally. Right. Um, I, I say this all the time. If you're doing business today the way you were a year ago, you're in danger. And if you're if you continue doing it that way for another year, you're in serious danger. And if you continue to have keep, you know, the only business I, I always say the only business as usual today is that there is no more business as usual. So if you think you can continue to doing things the same way. Um, you are you're going to go the way of Blockbuster and Circuit City and America Online and Kodak and a long list of others. And it applies to us even at the individual level. So today, we really do all have to be a little bit like Steve Jobs if we're going to remain successful. We have to be thinking 
about the next thing, about the newest innovation, about a better way of doing something than we're doing it now. And it's, 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 foreign to a lot of people, right? It's it's not something they do naturally because they weren't raised in it. I think our kids are doing it a lot more naturally right, right, right. Uh, for obvious reasons. But um, but I, I just think this is a critical mindset, a critical concept and, and skill set that people need today if they're going to remain relevant and stay successful. I, I agree with you 2,000%. Um, yeah. Earlier this year, uh, Mike Rayburn came and spoke to our chapter. Mm. And um, one of the things he talked about was Steve Jobs, and he when, when Jobs would see himself in the business starting getting near that plateau stage, uh, because either you're going to go up or you might fall off and be uh, irrelevant at that point, that he would go back and reinvent himself, go back yeah. and reinvent himself, and, and go back and reinvent himself, and um, anymore it's like we're we're, we're we're to some degree reinventing ourselves every single year. Uh, and through that reinvention, it's, you know, different products and services you bring to the market. Uh, and actually, I, 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 at the end of my, my year and every year around this time, I spend some time trying to figure out what's next. Now, I've got another book coming out, different topic, but what's next? And I'm actually meeting with a couple of my NSA brethren here in Columbus and having this conversation of reinvention. What's, what should I be doing? What's out there? What's, what's new? What, what do I need to study? What do I need to do? Because if, you're right. If, if I don't, I'm irrelevant. You bet. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even thought of. And then I'm waiting tables. But I'm Greek. I'm Greek. I can do that, but I prefer not to. <laughs> you can with a big menu too. Uh, <laughs> a big menu. Yeah, everything. You you Greeks serve everything. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Listen, I lived in New York for thirty years, the land of the Greek diner. I believe me, I understand. Oh my God, that I understand. <laughs> Oh, but man. yeah, and you know, Peter, we're you know we're we're speakers, so it might seem even more evident, but it's true for everyone. It's true for what, no matter what. I I recently, my partner and I recently um, did a big uh, event based uh, program. Um, it was a full day of of sort of combination keynote workshop and facilitation, and this was for. Um, a technology company, a, a, a network and security company. I mean, they, we facilitated 150 engineers. These are folks, mostly men. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry to say, but it is mostly guys right, right. Uh, who sit at their computers all day with their headphones on and write code. That's what they do for a living. And their CEO looked at the looked at these folks and said, "If we don't start disrupting our business." Someone else is going to disrupt it for us. And, and, and so these are guys who basically take orders, work orders, and write the code. And they are now being challenged to think more innovatively in the way they approach their work, in the solutions they can bring to the table for their clients. This wasn't their job a few years ago. Their job was just to write code. But now every one of us, I don't care what you do for a living, every one of us is expected to show up at the table with fresh new ways of solving problems, tackling challenges, capitalizing on opportunities. And here's the deal. If we don't do it, someone else will. That's the world we live in. If we don't come up with the solutions, someone else will, and we're out of the picture. So that's why it's so important. And that's why I think the work we do is so critical. And, and in this process, uh, it, it takes a tremendous amount of listening to 
the colleagues, listening to the environment. And it also requires us to ask more questions. Um, and working with CPA firms and how can we get innovative and stuff? How can we be more creative? And a lot of times it's, it's especially during coming up to this time of year, which they call busy season, which I never understood. This is when they make their, make their money. It should be called opportunity season. Right. But they're just inundated with work. And, and this is where Sally comes in. And we're not thinking about taking a moment, thinking about the issue at hand and maybe looking at maybe a different perspective, coming up with it and coming up with some different questions to ask. And in and, and, and those different questions that we ask and, and, and respond and, and dig, that is part of that ideation process is trying to find what the root of the issue is and then backing up and providing solutions to it. Absolutely. So, so of course, listening. And, you know, once again, my marketing background, advertising and marketing background, of course, that's what, that's what marketers, you know, people think advertisers, you know, marketing communication experts, you know, come up with crazy ideas. They do, but only after extensive you know, quote unquote, listening, right? Lots of research, getting to know your customer and your consumer inside and out. What makes them ticks? What tick? What matters to them? If I if I come up with a solution that doesn't matter to the to my to my customer, what 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 value is it? Remember the second part of innovation: it's got to deliver greater value or benefit. I can't possibly deliver greater value or benefit if I don't know what the real problem is and what people are really looking for in terms of a solution. So yeah, you have to, um, you, you have to, the, the term I like to use is you got to be a detective. That's a, that's a, a critical part of what we do as problem solvers. You have to be a detective all the time. I think the question I like to use and I suggest is when you're doing this and you're exploring, you just, it's a very simple question. And I do it with, with clients. I do it when I'm out, you know, uh, uh, visiting with, you know, CFOs or partners, uh, and farms. I ask them this one question. What keeps you up at night? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, this course that I delivered, uh, called How to Dump Sally. Uh, the creativity mm-hmm. course came out of a conversation because I asked the person, what keeps you up at night? And he said, Sally. And I went, uh, I believe your wife's name is Mary. <laughs> and he goes, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and yeah, and it's this whole, um, and once he said that, then I just started a process, process of asking questions, trying to figure out what was truly keeping him up. And a lot of times the answer I get is my people. It's, usually, yeah. it's it's always people related, but yeah. it could go in so many different directions. It's just not giving up asking the question to get to find out what the true issue is. Then you can provide the product to service, or if you don't have it, then you can refer the product or service to them. Absolutely, and and by the way, so you you know we're talking uh, about this in relationship to your customer or your client. The same applies for you in your own business, right? You got to ask yourself those questions. You have to you have to you know what's keeping you up. I always in in my speeches I I say you know innov- we we all think that innovation is this big lofty difficult challenging complex thing. It's really not that hard. Find something that's not working or that's not working as well as it could be and make it better. That's it. We can and we can all do that every day. It doesn't have to be the new iPhone. You don't have to you don't have to invent a new technology. All you have to do is find something that can be improved upon and improve it. And and but you have to find something that 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 can be made better and that is going to deliver greater value to you or to somebody else by doing it. That's all. I always listen. What are they complaining about? Yeah. Somebody's complaining about something. Well, there's the problem. 
So let's find a way to solve it. What, what, what can we do better? How can we do something better? I, I love that analogy, that, that how you how you laid that out. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times we just turn deaf ears. We, we look at it like, oh, God, that again? Versus right. taking that approach. Well, you know, something's not working here. There's got to, you know, I think when you come into work every single day, you got to be thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. There's really got to be a better way. And I think that helps start that questioning, that exploratory, that, that listening with your ears and your eyes to figure mm-hmm. out what could be better. Absolutely. And by the way, that that little mini process, I, a term that my partner and I have coined that we use now in our work is everyday innovating. Right. It's this it's the it's a mindset. It's the way you show up every day. And 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 by the way, that process is sort of a rinse and repeat. Very few, very few truly innovative solutions um, came out that way with the first try, right? So right. it's an iterative process. Right. So you you find something that uh, that that's that you know the the area of complaint, the thing that's not working, the area of friction or irritation. You come up with a new way or a better way of doing it. You try it, right? You got to give it. A, you got to actually do it. Um, and then once again, you look at it and say, all right, is it working better? You know what's not working? How could I improve that? And you you keep going through that iterative process until you come up with something that that truly makes a difference. Um, and then, and then turn your attention to something else. We always say, if you, if you just generated one idea a day, just imagine how that would change the game by the end of the year. And the part that I was going to say is in doing that failure is an option. Oh, sure. But that failure and risk is an option. However, a lot of times when we throw an idea out, we want that to be the be all the end all idea. But then again, there's the opposite side of it is, well, if it fails, What's the what's the punishable offense that could happen if my idea that I came out of my head with is actually put into place and it fails? Will I be fired? And that goes to the culture of the organization, for sure. So obviously that's a that's a that's a big a big question. And and I think certainly the most successful and most innovative companies um, uh, create and nurture that type of culture where where. Temporary failure, calculated risks are are not only okay; they're they're encouraged. Um, but sure, you know, uh, and, and you know, failure once again, it's, it's a it's a it's a, a hot word, and it and it causes people to have visceral reactions. We have a colleague, uh, a, a leading innovation speaker, happens to be a friend of mine, Steve Shapiro, um, who doesn't like to talk about failure. He says, you know, you, nobody, you, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't fail. Failure is fail. But we're all talking about the same thing. And that is learning from less than perfect solutions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and, and, and then making incremental improvements to get to where you have to go. It's, it's rare that someone comes up with the home run right out the gate. It just doesn't happen that way. It takes trial and error and prototyping. I mean, this is, this is what the, the whole lean movement is about, right? Rapid po- prototyping. Come up with an idea, put it into action, find out what works, find out what doesn't, and then take it to the next level and keep doing that until you get it to an acceptable position. So, yes, that requires an acceptance of failure, you know. Uh, the famous there's the famous story about Thomas Edison. Who knows whether it's true, but that he tried thousands of things to uh, of of, of uh, things to use as a filament for the light bulb until he finally came up with tungsten. And you know, there's this famous story that a reporter asked, "What did it feel like to fail uh, a thousand times?" And he said, "I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps." And and that's really the way you need to embrace this kind of work. 
It, uh, yeah, that's that's a mindset. It, but there's also in, the, in, in this process, no matter how much hard work that we've done, no matter how much field testing, uh, uh, come, but when that product comes out, it, it may be a bust. And, sure. And I, I know, I, I think you remember this product that came out some years ago called New Coke. Of course, one of the greatest marketing blunders in uh, in in the in the history of, of of any of any product. New Coke was a disaster. New New Coke, but it's not because of a lack of research. It's not because of a lack of field testing. It just just didn't work, or, or the sample groups, or there, there's yeah. there's more behind that story. But out of that failure came classic Coke. Yes. Rebranding of Coca-Cola. And some people say, well, was that really their marketing move? I, I'm thinking that's a lot of money to spend on that on, on a marketing move. There's, there's better ways of coming up with that. I remember I was a, I was a young advertising guy at the time uh, when that happened. I remember it well because we all talked about it, you know, in the agencies. And, and there was even back then there was that speculation, you know, was all this uh, planned. I, 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 I'm with you. I kind of doubt it. You know, the, the one thing about research is that sometimes, you know, once again, people will will give you an answer <laughs> yeah. even if they so asking somebody do you like that and they well yeah but they basically fixed something that didn't need to be fixed i mean that that was that was the problem there right 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 but you know i it is but back to the the point that that, that you were making i had to throw that in cuz i every time yeah. i go down a path i always new i new coke it's always new coke uh but it, it's 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 putting it out there assessing it and i guess steve jobs was was um well known for this he would if it wasn't working he would try to fix it but at some point he goes but no no we're we're going to scrap it and we're going to move forward. We're going to scrap it and we're going to move forward. Yep. Uh, I, I forget the I forget the phrase that he that he used, but if it wasn't working almost immediately, he's like he wasn't married to it. It was a product. Right. There wasn't there wasn't an emotional attachment to it per se. Uh, and if it didn't work, I mean, okay. And, and if you've read his book, he's got a different leadership style, but. It, Incredible passion. He, he would berate people. I mean, he, he did. He he was not the, the 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 most friendliest, nicest guy to to work for. Uh, and that was his management style. But uh, we, well, we see what Apple looks like today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, I mean, he, he's become a cliche in the, in the, in the world of innovation, but truly, you know, passionate and, and great instincts and, uh, and commitment. And, and like you said, he knew, uh, he knew when to persevere and he knew when to let it go, you know? Exactly. So I need to wrap this up because I, I know you're a very busy guy. You're, you're, you're down in South Florida and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful sunny day and you're looking out over the Atlantic and I'm here and there's snow on the ground. Uh, <laughs> as a parting thought, what advice would you give to my audience about innovation? The most important thing I think that I would get across, and it's and it's behind everything I do in my work, is to get people to understand, to to, to urge them to embrace the fact that innovation um, is about them. Innovation is not about something somebody else does. It's about something that if if you want to be successful and you want to continue to be relevant uh, in this world, both professionally and in your personal life. Um, it's it's critical that you begin to understand that is that innovation is something that you participate in that you actually do yourself and it's not that hard it's not that complicated but it is a mindset that if we are going to uh, uh, thrive and enjoy what this world has to offer both professionally and personally we need to have that same mindset how am i going to be different in my work and in my life tomorrow than i am today
How am I going to embrace change and not fight it? Look at change as an opportunity for growth and for exciting new experiences. How can I do that? Um, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing: personalizing this and make it, getting people to understand that it matters to you, not just to the organization you work for. Wow, uh, I, I I didn't see that coming, but man, I'm glad I asked that question because that in itself was a price of admission. Uh, Keith, I, I can't, I can't begin to thank you enough. Uh, I, I look forward to when our paths cross again uh, and the conversations. But uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed, as I knew that I would, this conversation with you. It's, it's energizing, it's inspiring, and it's real and it's important. Um, and Peter, I, I can't thank you enough for asking me. I'm honored that you asked me to to be on your podcast. I've uh, our, our short uh, association. I've enjoyed a lot, and um, and I appreciate it. I feel like we could talk about this all day, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it many more times in the future. Uh, but thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it, Keith. Before I let you go, I, and I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot because I mentioned it earlier in the podcast uh, is about your ability to sing the the the, the, the your operatic voice uh would you mind giving us a little bit of sample of your of your singing oh my goodness okay sure <laughs> sure peter i'll give you i'll give you a couple lines i never give up the opportunity to perform i'll uh i'll, I'll do a couple lines now i hope this isn't gonna like blow out the, the your audio let me see I'll, i'm gonna move my mic away from my face but i'll just sing a, a, a couple opening lines of uh of of something when I sang uh, what I sang uh, w that you heard at the chapter leader uh, institute. So, okay, and you know that I'm at the beach, right? I'm I'm I, I'm very fortunate. I'm looking out my window at the ocean right now. So I'll sing. There's a bright golden haze on the ocean. Here in paradise, things are in motion. We speakers have gathered. We've all shared a cup, but the hard part is getting us all to shut up. Oh, what a beautiful meeting. Oh, what a great looking crowd. I've got this sneaking suspicion. I'm singing way, way too loud. <laughs> there you go. Outstanding. Thank you so very much for Thank that. Thank you, Peter, for the opportunity to, uh, to, to perform a little bit here. <laughs> I would like to thank Keith again for sharing his tips and techniques on ways of generating ideas. And remember to use the Frankenstein method to generate your ideas. In episode 87, I interview Marilyn Sherman, who's the author of the book, Is There a Hole in Your Bucket List? How to Overcome Obstacles That Keep You From Achieving Your Goals. Thank you for listening and always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.